Our first lesson comes from Genesis chapter 1, beginning at the 26th verse. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God made man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over all living things that move on the earth. Verse 31 And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to pray more. I want to pray more. More vibrantly, more often, more joyfully, with more faith. I want to pray more. The truth is that one of the biggest obstacles that a person has with their prayer life is often understanding how prayer works. How does prayer work? James 5, 16 says these words, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. But what does that mean? What does it mean that prayer is working? How does prayer work? It's like the legend of the church in Texas. And I say legend because I've heard of this story happening in Drummondville, Mount Vernon. It could happen here in Plano. But this legend of the church in Texas that was in trouble in the courts. A man got a permit in town to open the first bar. And the local Baptist church was concerned and began praying that God would intervene. Well, a week before the bar's opening, lightning struck the bar and it burnt to the ground. The church members were ecstatic until the man who owned the bar sued the church on the grounds that their prayers were responsible for the building's burning. In the court filings, the church vehemently denied all responsibility and all connection to the bar's demise. So at the hearing, the judge commented, I don't know how I'm going to decide this case. Because according to the paperwork, I have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and a congregation that does not. (laughs) How does prayer work? In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Jesus' disciples come to him with a request. Lord, teach us to pray. And when they ask Jesus this, they're not saying, just give us words to pray. They're saying, Jesus, help us pray the way you pray, with the depth of relationship with your Father in heaven that you pray with. Lord, teach us how prayer works. Jesus responds with these words. As we continue through this series on the Lord's Prayer during Lent, Jesus says, pray like this. We say together, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Last week, we looked at the opening of the prayer, our Father who art in heaven. But this week, we look at thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we pray these petitions, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus is truly teaching us how prayer works. To understand this, we need to go back to the very beginning. We need to go back to Genesis 1. So if you'll turn there with me, in your Bibles or in your pew Bibles, it's easy to find. It's right at the beginning. As we unpack Genesis 1, we'll begin to see that as Jesus teaches his church to pray these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that these words of prayer, this stance and posture of prayer is in fact apprenticing us for the role that God has given us. That as we pray, we are being apprenticed. We are being trained for the role God has given us. But not only is prayer apprenticing us for the role he's given us, but as we pray these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we will find that our prayer is aligning our will with the will of the Father. That there is a work of realignment going on as we pray these words. But again, not just apprenticeship and not just alignments, but as we pray these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, these words of prayer will amplify our prayers. They'll amplify our desires. What do we really, really desire? This prayer will amplify those desires. So first, praying thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven apprentices us in the role that God has given us, trains us for the role that God has given us. Look at verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then it goes on in verse 27. So God created man in his own image and the image of God he created him, male and female, he created him, them, male and female together, image bearers. Now this language of image bearing is powerful in the ancient world because an image bearing individual would be given by a king into a region. If a king came into a region, conquered a kingdom, conquered a region, they would put images of themselves often stone or wood or metal, an image of the king so that all the inhabitants would look at the image and be reminded, oh, that's who the king is. And so when God puts images in his creation, we're not to be surprised, but here's what's amazing. These images aren't stone or wood. These images are living beings meant to be that image of the king, the true king, God in heaven. But being an image is not just to be a symbolic reminder The image bearers are also to 
rule in the place of or alongside the true ruler. We sometimes call them stewards or regents. These image bearers are meant to have the role of reigning with the true king under his design. Can can you hear this? That in Genesis 1, the opening page of scripture, that God's original design for creation was to have men and women collaborate with him in the running of his world. I'm going to say that again because we don't teach this enough. The original design of creation was that men and women women would collaborate with God in running his world. That's what verse 26 and 28 means when he says, have dominion. Have dominion over this world that I've given you. It is to be royal, to be the royal children of the king in heaven, under the ultimate kingship of God. But of course, our royalty turned rebellion pretty quickly, didn't it? We only need to turn one page, and we're in Genesis 3, and we see these ones who are given the role to rule, to guide and reign with the true king in heaven, that we reject that and we rebel. We break this world that we were meant to steward. But thanks be to God, God is not finished with us. In Christ, God ultimately is restoring our original role. Part of what Jesus accomplishes in our lives is as we come to him in faith, he restores that original role, that we are to reign with Christ over this creation. I mean, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is probably the oldest hymn we have recorded. It's a hymn from the early church. And Paul writes these words. He says, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Reign with him. This language of reigning with Christ is found again and again in the New Testament. It's found especially in Revelation. That we will reign with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. Why would there be the language of thrones for the 24 elders in heaven that sit there? Why would there be the language of crowns that we will ultimately take off our heads and throw before the lamb, the true king? The language is us being restored to that original role of reigning with Christ over his creation. This means, if you can hear it, this means that the Father is going to give us real, true authority. And our prayers, as Jesus teaches us to pray these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it means that Jesus has given us authority. The Father, through the Son, gives us authority as we pray. That our prayers are authoritative because God is making us to be a people who can reign with Christ. Of course, the common question immediately comes up when we start talking about the authority and power of prayer is why pray if God knows everything? You'll see on the front of our bulletin, every week we're looking at a common question that affects us when we talk about prayer, 
right? How or why pray if God knows everything already? I mean, it's a question of sovereignty, isn't it? If God is truly knowledgeable of everything and God is powerful over everything, why does he need my prayers to run his world? The problem is that we often misunderstand the biblical concept of sovereignty. And if we misunderstand the biblical concept of sovereignty, we will become what some people call functional fatalists. Functional fatalists, those who ultimately say, well, you know, the universe is just the way it's going to be. What's going to happen is what's going to happen because God is sovereign. And so I guess it's just all going to happen no matter what I do, no matter what I pray, it's all set. But the problem is that's not what the Bible says about the sovereignty of God. The Bible holds together two concepts that we can mistakenly think are contradictory. The two concepts, and this is the two concepts that the Bible affirms again and again about God's sovereignty and our prayers. Number one, that God the Father is absolutely and totally sovereign over his creation. Completely sovereign. But number two, that our Father in heaven has given his children authority when we pray without damaging his sovereignty. I'll say that again. Number one is that God in heaven is absolutely and totally sovereign over his creation. And our father in heaven has given authority to his children's prayers without damaging his sovereignty. Now, if if you find that to be too mysterious to hold together, we'll try explaining the Trinity next week. The point is, The mystery of God's will, the mystery of the mind of God is that which holds these two concepts together. As a result, then the answer to the question, why pray if God knows everything, to quote Dr. J.I. Packer, is we pray because prayer is foreordained as the means whereby God brings his sovereign will to pass. I'll say that again. We pray because prayer is foreordained as the means whereby God brings his sovereign will to pass. I saw this when we moved into our second church house. Annabelle was five years old. We were moving into our second parish. It was a big church house. We had a little bit of furniture. And so we kept having to move the furniture around to try and make it work inside this big, big church house. And so one afternoon, I was moving furniture in the bedroom. Big cabinets, bed, chest of drawers. And of course, I didn't want to take it all apart. I was simply doing the, you know, stick the uh, you know, towel under one end and push. And I thought, you know, it's, it's the church house. They could fix the floors later. But I was up there moving these really heavy pieces of furniture. And Annabelle said to me, she said, I want to help move the furniture. And I said, you know, these are really big. How about you just sit and keep me company while I move the furniture? I knew that there was no way that if she put all of her strength and weight that she could even move it a centimeter or I guess translation, a third of an inch. Couldn't even move it. And of course, being five, she said, I want to move the furniture. And I said, well, okay, come here. And I put my hands on the cabinet and I said, you put your hands on my hands. And when you push, I'll feel the push and I'll push as well. And she did. She pushed. I felt that push. And so I leaned in and the cabinet moved. Her eyes got big and went over the bed and did the same. Put her hands on my hand as she pushed. I pushed and the bed moved. 
And then the chest of drawers, we moved all the furniture. And of course, what did she do? She ran downstairs and told Monica, I moved all the furniture. (laughs) And of course, it's true. She did. I provided all the power. She provided the push. You see, this is a picture of how prayer works. The authority that God the Father has given us as we pray. All the power is his. All the authority is his. But he's given us the ability in the mystery of God's will to make the push. That as we bring our intercessions and petitions before him, we move heaven. And he does this because he's apprenticing us so that we can truly move heaven in the new heavens and the new earth. Our prayer life now is our apprenticeship in living into the authority that God gives us as those who will reign with Christ. Kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? But it immediately brings up a problem, right? If it's true, then why aren't all my prayers answered the way I want them answered? Well, see, as Jesus teaches us these words to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's not just about him teaching us that we're being apprenticed with that kind of authority, but we're also, as we pray these words, having our wills aligned with the Father's will. As we pray these words, our wills and desires will be transformed and realigned with the Father's will. Verse 28, Genesis 1. What does God say to these image bearers? He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. What's interesting about that language, fill the earth and subdue it, is this is verse 28, but it sounds just like the work that God has been doing for the first 27 verses of Genesis. For 27 verses, the whole beginning of the story, God has been filling the earth and subduing it. And now he turns to his image bearers and says, now you fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, your work, your authority as you reign over this creation is to be in alignment with my own work. We're not given a free blank card to run off and do whatever we want with this authority, but rather we are called to live and rule and reign, take that authority in alignment with the Father's authority. We exercise our authority in alignment with him. As we pray, thy will be done, we are ultimately submitting our authority in prayer to God's will. I have incredible authority, but I am to submit it to the will of the God in heaven who's given me that authority. My focus is always to be on the one above, not on myself. We saw this so clearly when Monica and I were newly married Kevin, who was a friend of ours, um, close friend in college, at 22 years of age, was made the CEO of a multinational audio um, equipment corporation. They built audio equipment for Cher and for all these big stars. I'm sure some of their equipment's up in our sound booth right now. 22 years old, he's the CEO. It was kind of hard being friends with Kevin, Because I was just starting grad school. So, you know, as Monica and I are so poor, we can't even buy cucumbers. He's flying on Learjets 
So Kevin always picked up the bill. But the point was, for Kevin, 22 years of age made CEO. How did it happen? Well, when he was 14 years of age, he went into a local theater and said, I want to learn how to play with audio equipment. And so they ripped apart the board and he ripped it apart and put it all back together and really had a gift. And he had such a gift that by the time he was 15 or 16, they were bringing him in as a consultant to record visiting artists like B.B. King. 15, 16 years old, recording B.B. King. And so he started working in the retail section of this company, selling their boards. And he got so good at it, they started sending him to the trade shows to explain the boards. Well, you can't really be at the trade shows for too long without eventually getting promoted through the company. Quickly, he rose to the ranks. He's in his early 20s. He, by the way, didn't even do post-secondary education. I never tell my children this story. But he, you know, he actually applied for a college program and at Ryerson College in, in Toronto, Canada, they actually said to him, we'll be honest with you, you could teach our faculty some things. We're not going to admit you into the course. So he's 20 and he's a vice president. And he's 22 now and he's a CEO. And I remember saying to Kevin once, I said, Kevin, it's incredible. You're 22 years old. You're a CEO. I said, how did it happen? Like, is, is there something you can give me to focus on? He said, oh, it's easy. He said, on my desk at work, he said, I have a plaque, but it faces me. So it, People don't see it. I see it every time I sit at my desk. And the plaque says this. My work goal is to make my boss successful. He said, I've had that since I was 14 years old. My work goal is to make my boss successful. In other words, it's not about me. And it's always been about how can I make the person who I report to successful. It's not about me. It's about them. It's not about growing my repertoire and growing my power. It's about ultimately pushing their vision ahead. He said, now I'm CEO and it's the shareholders who are my boss. My goal is to make my boss successful. Isn't it amazing when we think of the authority that God has given us, incredible authority in prayer, that our goal is not to use that authority for ourselves, but ultimately to use that authority according to the will of the one who gave it to us. It's about glorifying him. It's about magnifying him. Even Jesus, you know, here's the son of God. The son of God, how did he approach the authority given to him in his earthly ministry? The son of God says this in our passage from John 6 today, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus saying, I'm not going to do my own will. I'm going to do the will of the one who sent me. And we see this most modeled in Gethsemane as he prays before his arrest and his trial and his death. What does he say? He says, Father, I'm going to be honest with you. Take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. See, this becomes part of the answer to the seemingly unanswered prayer problem. As St. Chrysostom teaches us in the prayer that's at the end of morning and evening prayer in the prayer book, that we offer all these prayers and we, grant, we ask God to grant these prayers as may be best for us. In other words, according to your gracious will. And I'm so thankful that God answers my prayers according to his will because we've all prayed for stupid things. Right? There's been times when we look back and go, man, I'm so glad you did not answer the prayer I just offered the way I thought I wanted it answered. I mean, it's so clear when I was in high school, you know, I'd get dumped 
and I'd be ruined. And I'd be praying. I'm a new Christian. I'm 17. Oh, Lord, please fix this. You know, this girl dumped me. I, I bring her back. Make it happen. Make it, make it work. Anything, oh, Lord. And then I met Monica. And I'm like, Lord, thank God you didn't answer those prayers. <laughs> See, the will of God begins to align our hearts with his. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here's the, here's the gospel. This isn't something that we have to sort of, you know, make, get into our heads and our hearts. We have to, you know, twist ourselves around and, oh, I need to be in the will of God. This is a gift that God gives us as we pray. The spirit of God teaches us and guides us into the will of the Father. In Romans chapter eight, which I'm gonna be looking at after Easter, verse 26, we read these words. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then he goes on to say, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The spirit of God is teaching us and leading us in our prayer life, forming us to align our will to the will of God. You cannot pray these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven again and again and not have the spirit of God slowly but surely be realigning your will with his will. But not only as we pray these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not only is this about prayer apprenticing us for the authority we're to have as we reign with Christ. Real authority in our prayers now. Not only is it about realigning our hearts with the will of God, but praying these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This will amplify our prayers, amplify our desires. We'll take the things we truly desire to a whole new level reshape and reform those desires. See, the problem is that many of our prayers, if we're honest, are far too small because our desires are often far too small. Our desires often focus on personal comfort, on ease, on self, on our own tribe, on convenience. As C.S. Lewis says, he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. See, praying thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven begins to reshape and amplify our desires. They become kingdom-sized. Verse 31 in Genesis 1 says that God looked over all that he had made and said, behold, it is very good. Very good. That in fact, the context of this reigning authority that we've been given is within a creation 
that is completely good, that the very goodness of creation is through every piece of the cosmos. This is the intention of what God gave us this authority for, so that we could live into and protect and lead into a very good creation. The goal of what's been given to us, this authority, is nothing less, nothing less than the kingdom of God itself. The very goodness of God. And the kingdom, of course, is at the very center of the gospel. Jesus begins in Mark 1 with those words, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. And it means, the kingdom of God means not just personal salvation, but the kingdom of God is nothing less than the full restoration of the very goodness of creation. In one sense, the kingdom of God has come. As we celebrate the death and resurrection a few moments from now, we're celebrating that victory, the victory over sin, the victory over death. The kingdom has come in Christ. We gather around this table and we taste the kingdom. But in another sense, it's not fully here yet, not fully consummated. When we pray, thy kingdom come, it's meant to have a pang of dissatisfaction. It's not complete. We see lack of kingdom around us. We see lack of kingdom in ourselves. And so if the kingdom is the goal, then our prayers need to be kingdom word, goals. Again, here's the gospel. Your desires and my desires will be reshaped into kingdom-sized desires as we pray this prayer. It's a gift from God. In your bulletins, you'll find a little insert with the daily five. I mentioned this last week. Praying for five things that maybe you haven't prayed before, or you stopped praying for long ago, or maybe you're too afraid to pray for. And if you've already filled those in, don't change them based on what I've said today, because God wants to hear all of our prayers of any kind. But allow these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to reshape and amplify those five prayers. Let me give you an example. On, on my list, on my card, one of them is, uh, Lord, um, please grant our green card. Um, you know, green card, we've been living here three years on various visas. Grant our green card. It'll be our pathway to citizenship, right? Now, how do you, how do you amplify that to a kingdom-sized goal? Well, you say, Lord, I, I, I want my green card. Grant our green card. This week, Lord, join me in this prayer. This week, Lord. <laughs> but Lord, I'm not praying for this simply for my own ease. You know, the ease of entering the border, the ease of going to the DMV. Trust me, living as an immigrant is not easy in this country. But it's not about me only. Father, I want you to grant our green cards in this pathway to citizenship because we believe that rootedness in a community is powerfully connected with thriving gospel ministry. And so as you grant this green card, O oh Lord, would you root us in such a way in this community that the kingdom of God will be brought to bear more powerfully in this community because of what you grant in this small thing of a green card. That's taking any goal, any desire we have and turning it kingdomward. And this is what this prayer teaches us to do. Until the content of our prayers puts us clearly over our heads and totally dependent on God, then our desires are still too small. I want to pray more, more vibrantly, more often, more joyfully, 
I want to pray with more faith. The biggest obstacle to a person's prayer life is confusion about how prayer works. But as Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this prayer is apprenticing us to live into this authority to reign with Christ now. But it also is aligning us, aligning our wills to his will, and it is amplifying our desires. It's making us pray kingdom-sized prayers. Today is St. Patrick's Day. As we celebrate Patrick later today with more than just green beer, let's remember his prayer life. Patrick was a man who prayed desperately for the Irish people from a young age. When he was a young man, he was praying desperately about the Irish people because he was praying that he'd be freed from them. He was kidnapped by the Irish people and he was praying he'd be freed. And then he was freed. But then as he went on, his prayer life continued. He continued to pray for the Irish people, no longer to be freed from them because he was free. But instead, over time, his prayer life led him to pray that he could be brought back to Ireland, the place of his captivity, that he could go there with the gospel, that he could go as a missionary bishop, that he could help transform that island into a place that looked more like the kingdom. How does a person pray like that? Because Patrick was a man who clearly had his prayer life shaped by Jesus' words. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. O Lord, teach us to pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.